You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see you. Wasn't that great worship today? We had such a great time of worship. Wow, it was so great. What a wonderful day of worship and so good to see everybody. I'm seeing so many people coming back. You've got your COVID shots. You're coming back to church and we're so glad to see you. Let's just, I just want to give you a big welcome to everybody. Let's give a welcome to people that are coming back to Bayshore. So great to have you guys with us in person. And we're so grateful. Many of you had watched online and now you're coming back. So we're just so thankful for that. And I want to say a big hello to our Fenwick Island campus. We just love those guys, and they're just doing an incredible job down there. And uh, let's give Fenwick Island a big hand. God bless you guys in Fenwick Island. And we have a, a campus in Rehoboth as well that's doing so well. So we're excited that you're with us today. So, hey, it's been a great week, and spring weather is starting to inch in a little bit, and uh, we're excited about that. So we're in a series uh, that we've been talking about, and this series is uh, called The Finish Line. And we're talking about uh, getting to the finish line. Uh, starting is really, really great, but finishing is what really matters. You can start the Christian life in a lot of excitement and enthusiasm, but finishing the race. Paul talked about that in Second uh, Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and there's laid up for me a crown in glory. So talking about finishing the race, how important that is. So when I was growing up, I grew up in uh, Seaford on the western side of Sussex County, and I grew up on Airport Road, and uh, that was the road I grew up on. And the reason it was called Airport Road is there was a family on the uh, road that had uh, was probably the most wealthy family uh, on the in the area, and they had their own airstrip, their own personal airstrip. And they had a nice house there. And after a while, uh, as the kids grow up, one of the uh, children started building a house. And it was a really big house for the times. They started building that house. And uh, we all kind of, you know, talked about the neighborhood. Oh, that's going to be a big house and all that. Something happened in the middle of construction. I don't know if there was a problem with money or if there was a problem with a marriage, a divorce or something but the, the project stopped. And that house has literally sat still for 35 years, and nothing's been done. Here's a picture of the house just down the road from where I grew up, and that house actually just completely uh, just stopped construction. I rode by it this week. I happened to be over that, that part of the county, and, you know, the roof is messed up and all that. But the house was started, and it was going to be a beautiful house, but then something happened, and it just stopped. It stopped. And I think sometimes we can start out like gangbusters, but something happens and it stops and we don't complete what we're doing. Michelangelo, uh, the famous uh, architectural, or, or the, the, uh, architectural guy that did all the, the statues in Rome, uh, I don't know if you know this about him, very complicated life. It's interesting. I've read some stuff about Michelangelo. But one of the things that's intriguing about Michelangelo is he started a lot of statues that he didn't finish. In fact, there are 16 different statues that he did not complete. And uh, here's a picture of one of them. Uh, and uh, he just, he started these statues and just never completed them. Now, some of the reasonings behind why Michelangelo didn't finish his statues was, was uh, that he was a perfectionist. 
And uh, he had this idealistic vision in his mind of what it was supposed to look like. And if that statue didn't come to uh, the level he think it th- thought it should be, he would just stop constructing it. Another theory is, is that he got so attached to these works of art that he didn't want to finish them for his patrons because if he finished them, he would have to turn them over. So whatever the reason is, he started these statues but never finished them. Now, what's important for us to remember is it doesn't matter how you start if you don't finish. It doesn't matter how you start if you don't finish. Now, the thing that's really intrigued me in my ministry as a pastor, you know, I'm very, very excited when people come to the Lord and people come to Christ and uh, some, you know, salvation experience happens in the service. I'm always thrilled about that. But from my perspective of being a pastor for a whole lot of years is what really, really blesses me is seeing people that not simply come to the altar or they make a prayer or they get baptized at some point and there's this big explosion of excitement. But what really, really blesses me is when I see them continuing in the faith, coming to church, reading their Bible, getting in small groups and growing, and year after year after year, they just grow in their faith. I'm looking over here right now at Red and Denise Parsons. I wasn't planning on saying this, but Red and Denise uh, have been in our church for over 35 years, perhaps, and they raised their kids here. And uh, Rhett, Rhett and Denise, would you stand up? Everybody at Femic Island knows who they are. But I want you to just, this is an example of people that have served the Lord for many, many years. I think Rhett was an Episcopalian or something when he came here. And I don't know if he knew Jesus when he came, but, you know, he, he, he found the Lord and just continued to grow and grow. And I could point out many other people like that. So my question is, what happens to people that start the faith, but they don't finish the faith? What is it, what is it that derails them in their Christian growth? What is it that happens there? Now, it just so happens that Jesus had a parable to explain that to us. And it's found in chapter uh, 4 of Mark. And in my opinion, the parable of the sower, it's probably not the best title for it, But the parable of the sower is probably one of the most important passages uh, in all the New Testament because it gives us insight to why people start and don't finish. And it's something that kind of gives us a warning as we read it. It it teaches us to be careful that we don't get derailed in our faith. And I'm going to read it to you, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And uh, then we'll read uh, his interpretation. It's interesting about this parable. Jesus told a bunch of parables, but this is a unique parable in this. Uh, Jesus rarely explained what the parables meant. Most of the time, he left it out there. You had to figure out it, think, think about it, meditate on it. But in this parable, it's so important that Jesus explicitly explains what the parable meant, which is very rare for Jesus to do. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, he says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Uh, The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat on it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Think about that big crowd. There's a huge crowd, thousands of people. Jesus gets in a boat, gets off the shore. He uses the amplification of the water to, to project his voice, and he speaks to thousands of people without a microphone. And then it says, he taught them many things by parables in his his teaching. 
He said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not, did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. Then he interprets the parable in verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but they have no root. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So the picture is when Jesus was telling this story, as he told the story, everybody in the crowd could see what he was talking about because they lived in a very agricultural world. In fact, it could be Jesus taught this uh, on the, uh, the shore of the northern end of the Sea of Galilee where there was a lot of fields. It could be that while he's teaching behind him, there's a farmer out there with a bag of seed and he's slinging this seed, sowing seed, and Jesus uses that as an illustration. And here's what he said. First of all, the parable is not about the sower. It's about the soils. It should really be called the parable of the soils. Because it, it's nothing that the sower is doing wrong. And when I read this one day, I helped young preachers with this before as they're preaching and they feel a little insecure about their preaching, which is a very hard thing to do to preach in front of people every week. You know, this parable is not saying to the sower, if you would sow better, you'd have better results. He's not saying that if you could, you know, direct your seed better, you would, you know, have more success. Uh, because it's not the sower's fault, it's the soil's fault. And so here's the thing, what, what he says is there's, there's four types of soil. And one type of soil that the seed falls on is the hard-packed soil that is uh, like where there's a path, and he sows the seed. The seed doesn't penetrate the soil, but it just lays on the top. It doesn't have any root. It doesn't go deep. It's very shallow. It just stays on top of the path. One of my sons recently, you know, uh, planted, reseeded his lawn, and uh, I've been really big about, you know, having a nice lawn all my life. I'm not great at that, but I, I want to have a nice lawn. And I always talk to my kids when they were growing up, my boys, you want to have a good lawn at your house. And so one of my sons uh, planted uh, seed, put reseeded his lawn, but didn't aerate the lawn. So I basically said, you know, in very kind fatherly tones, I said, you just, you just fed the birds is all you did. Because you got to have, the seed has to go in to the, the soil in order for it to be fruitful. And Jesus said that, this particular uh, sown seed falls on the path, the hard pack, pack path where people had trod and walked and the path was hard and the seed just stayed on top of the soil. So the birds came and devoured the seed. 
Now, here's what Jesus said it means. It means that when people hear the word and when they are exposed to the Bible or they're exposed to the gospel, that there is an immediate counterattack from Satan, that Satan comes to try to steal the seed from their heart. And that happens all the time when people hear God's Word spoken to them, when they hear Scripture expounded to them, when they hear the gospel, um, the enemy immediately comes. He doesn't wait, but he immediately comes and tries to undo what has happened in that person's life, and he tries to steal the seed. What's important for us to remember is there is a spiritual warfare that is occurring in everybody's life regarding God's Word when it is sown in our heart. And Jesus says, some people are like people that the seed falls on the path and the birds come and they steal the seed. Imagine, uh, think about uh, a football player. If you watch uh, football ever, and one of the big things that happens with defensive football players now is they try to strip the ball from the person that has the ball. And instead of just tackling the person, they, they try to strip the ball out of the ball carrier to take it from him. Here's a picture of uh, Lamar Jackson and this stealer, literally a stealer, that's trying to steal the ball from Lamar Jackson here. Any Steelers fans in our, in our church here today? And uh, you're welcome here uh, and all of that. We want you to know that. We, we welcome everybody if you're a Steeler fan. but. Uh, but here's Lamar Jackson, and the defendant is trying to take the ball from him, to strip the ball from him. Here's what happens to you and I when the Word is sown into our life, the enemy tries to come and take that Word out of our heart. Children are raised in church. They, you know, come to church every, every you know, year after year. Parents bring them to church. Then they send them off to a very, very good university. They go off to a university, and they've got that, you know, anthropology teacher that is trying to, you know, make fun of the Christian faith and all that. I remember when I was in anthropology class, and the uh, woman was talking about the faith and played the telephone game of how the, the Word has, you know, been diminished, and we can't believe what the Bible says. And so, so what happens to people, the Word is taught them, and then the enemy has a strategy to try to take the Word from them and steal that from them. So Matthew's version says that this uh, person that has the seed that falls on the path is a person that hears the Word but does not understand it. In other words, they get confused. The enemy comes and try to, tries to confuse the Word uh, and, and begins to cause a person to, you know, really wonder if what the Bible says is true, if it's authentic, if it's re, re, uh, reliable and all of that. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says as they were in the Garden of Eden, God told them, you can eat of any tree, any tree in the Garden but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then what does Satan come? Satan comes, the serpent comes, and he says, did God say you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? And so what Satan did was to distort the word. He distorted the word, and then he becomes defiant. He said, did God say you would not, you would, if you ate of it, you would die? You surely will not die. And so there's this counterattack on trying to diminish the word in our life. So what we have to do as, as uh, we're ministering to people and sowing God's Word in their life and teaching them and sharing the gospel with people and ministering to people the good news about Jesus, as we do that, it's important 
that we pray over them and ask the Lord to protect the seed that's in their heart. But as you think about your Christian life, that what can happen to you is you begin to, to understand Scripture and you begin to hear the Word taught. There is always a counterattack that comes and begins to try to undo. The birds come and the birds try to steal, steal the seed. And so that's a, uh, the first type of soil. The second type of soil is the soil that falls on rocky ground, and that's shallow soil. And what that is, is, is there's a layer of limestone rock or some type of rock under the soil. So you have a little bit of soil on top of the rock and the seed comes and it gets in the soil and it immediately, the Bible says it immediately sprouts and it grows. It has a very, very quick start. It always concerns me a little bit when I see people that come to the faith and right away they are like, woo! They are just so excited and so fired up, and I think that's great. But what we need to make sure is that that faith that they have, that, that exuberance that they're expressing in the beginning is something that is maintained and that they grow in their faith. So Jesus said that some of the seed falls on this soil that has rock underneath, and it doesn't go very deep. It's shallow faith. And he says, when the sun comes, when the sun begins to come and the heat begins to come, because it doesn't have any, Luke says, any moisture or any root, then that, uh, that seed withers and is destroyed. So it's possible to start bold, to start really, really uh, dramatically, to be really, really fired up and to really get really excited about Jesus and, and then when the sun comes, then you can begin to wither. As I mentioned about grass. You know, my grass right now, my lawn, I, just, I don't want to brag, but here's a picture of my lawn. I cut it yesterday. And uh, this is some seriously good-looking grass here, you know. That is really good there. You know, you say, is this biblical? You know, it says, I will cause my sheep to lie down in green pastures. Here it is right here. And uh, I told my boys, I said, you know, and don't be offended by me saying this, but I said a moron can grow grass like this in the spring. Anybody can grow grass like this in the spring. But when July or August comes, when it is hot, and it doesn't matter how much you irrigate, your grass starts looking really, really bad. I, I said that's when it really separates the people that can grow grass, the people that, that can't grow grass. And, and, and what Jesus is saying in this, in this parable he said, you know, when, it's, when there's no heat, when you're not under heat, when the sun's not beaten down on the soil, that, that seed does really, really well. But when the heat comes and when the sun beats down on the soil, that seed doesn't last because it doesn't have any depth. It doesn't have any depth. Now, here's what we need to remember. The heat, the heat will come. The heat will come. The heat will come in everybody's Christian life. There's going to be times when you're under the heat, when the sun is beating down. And Jesus said what this is. This is trouble or persecution. He said these people are doing really good until there's trouble or persecution. Until, you know, you know until there gets to be in their Christian life some really difficult times. And here's the thing about, you know, our Christian journey, our Christian faith is 
just because we are followers of Jesus doesn't mean that Christ is not going to allow us to experience some heat in this world, some pressure in this world, where, where, you know, where we're, you know, we're serving the Lord and we're loving Jesus and, and everything seems to be going right. You first become a believer and every prayer that you pray, God seems to be answering. Everything is going good in your life. And then all of a sudden, you really, really go through a trial and a hard time and, and something really, really rough happens in your life. And you say to yourself, where is the Lord? Why is the Lord not helping me in this situation that I'm in? And some people decidedly turn their back on the faith because they, they believe that God has let them down. So maybe, you know, you've got somebody that, you know, they pray for their, their, uh, their aunt to be healed of cancer, and they're praying for this miracle to happen, and the miracle doesn't happen. And they begin to say, well, Lord, why is this happening? Why did this thing happen? Or it happens personally to them, they have some trial that they go through and some difficulty that they go through, and they say to themselves, Lord, why did you let this happen? Why am I going through this? Or a spouse dies of some disease or Alzheimer's or something, and they turn their back on the faith because of some adversity that they've experienced. Now, I pastored long enough to know that I've seen people that they've been on fire for the Lord, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, serving in the church, holding positions in the church, really, really, you know, on top of their game. And then something dramatic happens in their life. Something happens and they don't like the outcome. And so I've seen many times people that say, well, if that's how God's going to treat me, if that's what's going to happen to me, and I prayed about this, this didn't happen, then they turn they're back on the faith. Now, Jesus said, you know, some people are like seed that falls on the soil that has the rock underneath, and they spring up quickly, but when the heat comes, then they abandon the faith. Now, here's, here's the deal. Do we know if our faith is authentic if it hasn't been tested? We, we really don't know if our faith is authentic until it's been tested. And so when you go through a, a season of incredible adversity and you're a Christian and you love Jesus, and we sang that song today, It is well with my soul, through it all, through it all, it is well with my soul. One of the, my favorite songs, when, you, when I see people that I've seen in front of me for decades, that they love Jesus, they're serving Jesus, they're walking with Jesus, and then they go through absolute adversity, it seems like, have you ever noticed that when you go through adversity, sometimes it's not just one thing, it's like five things at one time happening all around you? And sometimes when that happens, and I see those people, they just, they just hunker down, and they read their Bible, and they're crying, and they're praying, and they're getting people to help them, but they're still coming to church, and they're still serving the Lord. I know that those are people that have authentic faith, because their faith is not rooted in everything being wonderful, but their faith is rooted in a God who loves them and cares about them and is committed to them. So just say this with me. Say this right now. My faith must be bigger than good times. One more time. My faith must be bigger than good times. Very, very important. So Acts 16, the Apostle Paul, you know, he's a 
goes to Philippi on a second missionary journey. Silas is with him. They go to Philippi and they uh, minister this little, uh, on the seaside, about a river. Uh, This woman named Lydia gets saved and they're in this city and they're ministering. And and this woman has a demonic spirit, which she predicts the future by. And Paul exercises that spirit, takes that spirit out. And then he ends up in jail, he and Silas. And it it says they were severely flogged. They were severely flogged. I mean, they weren't just flogged. The text says they were severely flogged. So they are severely flogged. And then it says that they were thrown into the darkest dungeon, the darkest cell in the the prison, and they were put in stocks. Their backs are bleeding, but now their hands are in these wooden stocks and their feet are in these wooden stocks. So their backs are bleeding, and it may be hard for them to get comfortable. And then it says at midnight. Everybody say at midnight. At midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing praises to the Lord. They began to worship the Lord. They began to lift up Jesus. I don't know what they were singing. I don't know if they were singing Bethel music or if they were singing Jesus uh, culture music. I don't know what they were singing, but they started worshiping Jesus. There was no band playing. There was no smoke machine. There was no lights. There was no orchestra. It was just a dark jail, and there were rats running around, and their backs were bleeding, and things were really bad. But Paul and Silas began to worship Jesus and glorify the Lord, and the Lord got so excited to their music, he began to tap his foot to the music, and it caused an earthquake in that that jail, and they were set free from the prison that they were in. They could have said, God, I can't believe this. We're out here serving you. We're on this missionary journey. We're doing everything you want us to do. We're, we're, we're here serving you, and this is how you treat us. This is what you let happen to us. This is what you let occur in our life. And Paul and Silas could have said, I'm out of here. I'm quitting. This is it. As soon as we get out of jail, we're going and we're leaving the faith. But their faith was bigger than good times. Say this with my faith, my faith needs, to be needs to be bigger than good times. Very, very, very important principle. Now, when I was, uh, I've told this story before, and uh, there's probably just maybe a handful of people that will remember this. That back when I was a kid growing up, there was a, uh, anybody, anybody know what big pens are? Everybody know what a big pen is? Everybody knows what big pens Big pens used to have this, uh, this ad, this uh, advertisement, and I used to think it was Peggy Fleming that did it, but it was a Russian skater a famous Russian skater, and her name escapes me right now. But what Big Pen did was they, they did this demonstration, this commercial, where they took one of their Big Pens and they put it on the skate of that Russian skater. She was a famous figure skater. And, and they put the pen on her, strapped it on her skate, and she skated all around, and she did all these twists and these, you know, little things, and, and she skated all around, and then she comes up to where the commercial interviewer is, and she skids up to, to that person, and the ice chips comes up, and then she takes the pen off, and she sticks it in a fire, and then she goes to a, goes to a piece of paper, and she writes. And, and the commercial tag was, Bic Pen writes every time. Now, let me ask you, is there anybody in this audience that remembers that commercial? You're old enough to remember that. Bill, a few other people. How many of you don't know what I'm talking about right now? That's right. But it's a wonderful, wonderful example of what, 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 a, what that pen went through, the adversity, 
and the, uh, and, the, and the strain that it went through and the friction that it went through and all the abuse that it went through. And then when, after all that abuse, it still wrote. And here's what we need to remember. When you go through adversity and you go through difficulty and you're still loving Jesus and you're still worshiping Jesus and you're still standing for your faith and you're still coming to church and you're still walking with Jesus and you're not saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you're sovereign in my life and you're trusting the Lord, but you're not turning your back on the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times I, my heart broke one time to see a man that was so good loving Jesus and all that and, and real adversity came to his life. He had served the Lord for years. And when that adversity came, when the sun came, what it revealed is his faith was not very deep. It was, it, was, it was rooted in good times, not in authentic faith. And he turned from following Jesus. So our faith must be bigger than good times. Say it with me one more time. Our faith must be bigger than good times. Let me read up uh, 1 Peter. I think it's 1 Peter. Jeremy can put it up there for me. 1 Peter. Um, either 1 Peter or 2 Peter. Somewhere I'll find it here in a second here. 1 Peter... Uh, let's see here. We're coming close here. Here it is. 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friend, no, not that one. Uh, that's not the right one. Oh, here it is. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. But I think what I'll do, let me read, uh, let me read, you know, let me read verses 4 through 8. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And into an inheritance, uh, Peter's saying, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you listen to verse, verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Everybody say little while. Every trial is for a little while in the context of eternity. Uh, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All kinds of trials. It says, it says in verse 7, These have come, these have come, so that, the, uh, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth and gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. These have come so that the proven genuineness of our faith. So here's the reason adversity happens. Adversity happens so that our faith can be proved genuine. Not simply, not simply to God, because God already knows if your faith is genuine or not. But you don't know. And people around you don't know. And people that are watching you, they don't know if your faith is genuine until they see it tested, and then they know that your faith is authentic. Only testing, only trials of many kind can prove our faith is genuine. And so that's very, very important. Our faith is only revealed as being truly authentic when it's under the fire, when the sun is beating down, when we're under the heat and our roots have gone deeper and we are still fruitful even when we are in a hard time and people around us can see if we are uh, people that are genuine, have genuine faith. I've told this story many times before. Um, when, I was, when I got out of Bible college in 1981, uh, I didn't have a church to go to. So my, my first job, I, I mean, I was just trying to put 
uh, food on the table for uh, Karen and our new baby, Tim, Timothy. And uh, so I got a job at a pizza shop. I was the skin guy. I made skins, you know, the, the skins. By the way, I think Grotto's is open in Millsboro this week on Tuesday. Are you excited about that or what? Come on now. Millsboro is coming home right now, buddy. So anyhow, I made pizza skins. That's what I did 40 hours a week. I was covered with dough, came home. Uh, and that was my life, and I thought, wow, this is really exciting. One more Bible College graduate is successfully employed, so there I am. And, uh, but one day I was working there, and this guy I worked with, I'd been inviting him to come to church, inviting him to come to church, and I couldn't get him to come to church. He wasn't interested in God. So I walked around the corner to go in the freezer to get something, and uh, he just had pulled out these big pizza pans that he had in the oven that he was sterilizing, and he had this big stick, and he pulled them off, and he put the pizza pans on this table uh, for them to uh, cool off after he had sterilized them. I came around the corner. I didn't recognize all that happening. I thought they were cool pizza pans and that they needed to be put away, so I grabbed a hold of them. And I'm telling you what, it would burn my hands to pieces. And I'm like jumping around. I ran to the, uh, where they had the sodas and I stuck my hands in the ice and my hands were already turning red and all that. And the buddy I've been inviting to church, he watched me and he said, I'm going to go to church with you. I said, why? He said, well, you didn't cuss when you grabbed those big, <laughs> those big hot pizza pans. You didn't cuss. So glad he couldn't read my mind because I was cussing like crazy inside. <laughs> but he, uh, he did. He came to church with you after that, after that moment. So, you know, I think, uh, I think sometimes our faith has to be tested in front of others to see if we're genuine, to see if we're genuine. We go through COVID together. Christians, we ought to have a different way of processing COVID than people that don't know Jesus. We need to be people of faith, people of confidence, people that believe that God is still in charge of our life. See, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that Danny Tice's life and I believe your life is in the hands of God. And, and when I'm get rejoicing in the Lord, it says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The difference between thankfulness is thanking God is specifically related to something God does for you. Rejoicing is when you thank God that He is sovereign in your life, that He's in charge, and that we can worship and be thankful to the Lord that He is in charge of our life. So here's the deal, uh, and I didn't get to the, the third soil here, but the, 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 the second soil is the soil that talks about uh, our, some people, why do they not finish? Why do, they, why do they quit the faith? Why do they not cross the finish line? It's because they see their faith as a means to a good life instead of seeing their faith as a means to eternal life and a means for us to be made into the image of Christ. God's goal for us is not simply a good life. God's goal for us is eternal life and a changed life. God is interested in changing us more than He is making us comfortable. So as I've walked with the Lord, I've seen the Lord bless me in so many ways, so many good things, just so many good things. I have a beautiful home. I have beautiful friends. I have a beautiful life. Sometimes I wake up 
and I say, I have such a good life. This is such a good life I have. I have such a wonderful life. But then my life, like your life, has been peppered with adversity, and that adversity is God's means of changing me. So let me ask you the penetrating question from this parable. The penetrating question is, is your faith deeper than a good time? Is your faith deeper than comfort? Is your faith deeper than, God, if you do everything for me, I will love you? Or is your faith like Job, who said in the Old Testament, God, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Now, I want to end by showing you a little video clip of someone that I really, really admire, uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Joni Erickson Tata is actually from Annapolis, originally uh, our area, and she was a woman that has faced incredible adversity. And through her adversity, her faith has been deepened, and she gives what I think a very, very mature perspective on what our faith should actually be like. So let's kind of kick back, watch this. I'll come back up after this video is over, and we'll have a final prayer uh, for us to be encouraged. I grew up in a very athletic family, tennis, horseback riding. My earliest memories of um, hearing about the God of the Bible, though, was around the campfire on the beach of the Delaware shore with my sisters, my mom and dad, hearing stories of Noah, David, Moses, Daniel. But God really, really, he, he really wasn't very personal. All that changed, though, when I was a 14-year-old kid, went away on a kind of a church weekend retreat. And I was challenged by the speaker. He said, kids, I want you to measure your lives up against the Ten Commandments. Well, I had never committed adultery or I don't think I, I stole anything in a big way, but you know what? It, it didn't matter. As I measured my life up against those commandments one by one by one, oh, I, I got this overwhelming sense that I'm missing the mark. I'm not going to make it. Oh, God, help me. It troubled me at first that God gave us a bunch of commandments that he knew very well we couldn't keep. But then it hit me at that weekend retreat. It hit me. That's why Jesus came. He was the one who kept the commandments. He was the one who obeyed the law, even though I didn't and even though I couldn't. I was only 14, but um, I was able to reach out right then and embrace Jesus and say, I, I need you. I, 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 I want to make it out of earth alive, and you're my only passport, so please. Well, I came home from that weekend retreat all fired up, all pumped, all excited. But then um, through high school, um, the enthusiasm of what I had done began to wane, especially when I started confusing the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. My prayers were so self-centered, like, uh, God, help me to lose weight. God, I need a new boyfriend. God, give me good grades on this test. Unfortunately, I guess I thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus as my Savior. And I remember right around my senior year of high school, I prayed, Lord, I'm not, I'm not doing this Christian thing right, and I know it. I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, smear your reputation. I know it's about far more than just me, so do something in my life to jerk it right side up, because I'm really living this life wrong.
Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe. And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me, but for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never gonna be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile, they were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plan for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs, no. God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia. But as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up, give me your smile, give me your strength because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of his grace every single day, I take that back, no, every single moment, I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says he won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not gonna do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow 
serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember, I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we, we pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. That's good, isn't it? I'm going to ask you to stand. You've been sitting a long time. I'm going to ask you to stand. And our life is filled with many, many good things. There are seasons of adversity. Our faith is proved genuine by our consistency when we are in adversity. Would you lift your hands right now? Joni said, I draw near to Jesus when I am over my head in suffering and difficulty. And this is a season where we're called by God to reach in. We want everything to be comfortable again and everything to be perfect again. But maybe the will of the Lord in these days and these moments is that we get more intimate and closer with Jesus and we draw on his strength like never before. Now, Father, as our hands are lifted up, we are lifting our hands up as genuine, authentic followers of Jesus that will love you and serve you because you've chosen us from the foundation of the world. Our salvation and our eternal security is in, in your hands, and we're so grateful that you're with us and then you're helping us and you're transforming us and changing us. And Lord, I pray right now for those that are in their own particular adversity right now. We thank you that their faith is being proved genuine, that the sun and the heat is not, is not uh, withering their faith, but their faith is getting stronger in you. So we love you, we serve you, and we worship you today. And just say this with me, Lord Jesus, I thank you that I'm your son, that I'm your daughter, that I belong to you, and that my faith in you is unwavering, and that, Lord, I thank you that you've called me to bear much fruit, and the seed has fallen on good soil in my heart. In Jesus' name, let's worship the Lord together right now. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.